just. I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of god the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes they are that mad. was the one lad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it yeah, that's don't go to rock subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent mo. I'm delighted to say Matt Williams is with us Matt good morning to you how are you Good morning, Joe. Very good, mate. Looking forward to uh, to the weekend. I think that um, we might be underestimating the challenge here. I, I saw a good part, the good first half of the um, France-Australia game. I thought Australia were amazing. Like, they were kind of a little bit like uh, the Michael Cheka era Leinster, where they get the ball under their own post, and the next thing, it's the far corner. They've run the length of the field, and they've scored some of the most amazing tries you've seen against France, who are the best team in the world. So, I know Italy beat them. But I'm expecting more of the team that played against France than the team against uh, Italy. Is that fair? Joe, I hope you're right. But I, I, I honestly don't know. And the trouble is neither do they. If you look at their form over the season, since uh, in the South it starts in June, beat England, lost to England. Beat South Africa, lost to Africa, uh, South Africa. Beat Argentina, lost to Argentina. Should have beaten New Zealand except for an outrageous refereeing decision and then lost to New Zealand. So it's – and so far on the tour, uh, beat Scotland, should have lost. Lost to France and Italy and they should have won. So it, it, they are just – and this has been Australia for the last three years, especially their real discipline, their penalties, their yellow cards. They've led the world pretty much, certainly led the rugby championship uh, in, in the number of infringements that they've given away. And you just cannot tell from week to week uh, how they'll turn up. They, they, and you were dead right. They were quite magnificent against the best team in the world. I, I think there's, a, there's another trend we have to look at here in the bigger picture, that is everyone is doing this. Argentina beats England, then they lose to Wales. Argentina beats New Zealand, but they can't beat South Africa. Ireland beats South Africa. Australian beats South Africa. You know, everyone in the top ten seems to be capable of beating each other on a, any given day. That is, that is very, very unusual. As a matter of fact, I, I, I was talking with an old mate. We can't remember that being the case in our lifetimes. Um, some of that is, is the quality of the, ref, of, of the players and the closeness, but it's also the, that officials are having such a big play in the game, the penalties, scrum penalties and so on, which are really changing the face of games very, very quickly. So... In a nutshell, at the Aviva on Saturday, I, I, I'm not sure. But I, I think Australia are capable of winning. There's no doubt about that. Whether they turn up like they did in the Stade de France is is the big question. It'd be really important for Ireland to see how they cope against that type of attack, the kind of all-action... Because we, we, we've now seen that, OK... We've learned a lot over the last couple of years and we, we know we have a plan for dealing with that version of South Africa that we saw. It'd be great for us to see uh, what we would do against this version of Australia if we were to come up against a side who play like this in the World Cup. And let's face it, there aren't that many of them. Um, but one of the things that happened in, after the, the um, 2015 World Cup was, oh, we got beaten by Argentina because we had loads of players who were injured and the Sean O'Brien suspension in that quarterfinal. But I remember um, afterwards, I think... Ron O'Gara and both um, Andy Dunn were like, well, I'm not sure our defence would have stood up against them anyway, even if we'd had our full team, because the style of play was completely different and actually Argentina were brilliant. 
we, we kind of had this, oh, we, we can deal with this because or we would have dealt with it if we had our best players. So, like, getting different challenges and, and testing yourself against different styles of play is exactly what you want at this time in the World Cup cycle. Uh, well, absolutely, Joe. I think, yeah, it's really what you, you're alluding to that. I think we go back a little bit. Ireland, had, you know, my, my 20 years, more than 20 years now dealing with Irish rugby, They've been in denial about world. Irish rugby has been in denial about their performances at World Cups for twenty years, and they've never really addressed it until now. And Andy Farrell deserves a lot of credit for the way he has addressed that, uh, starting last November in the in the radical changes he brought to the selection and the playing policy of the team, and the way he has selected the team so far um, this season. I think it has been a, 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 a breath of fresh air. Is not the right summation. It has been clinical and calculated in planning for a World Cup and something that Ireland has failed to do. And because the country had so much faith in Joe Schmidt, that that led them down a path to the 2019 World Cup where it was quite obvious to outsiders that Ireland were just not up to it, but within Ireland, no one saw that. And now, you know, Andy Farrell, to his great credit, has acknowledged that, has seen it and has changed so that's the first thing. So Ireland are on track. Second part of that is what the Wallabies are doing is returning to their DNA. The, the way they're playing is Australian rugby. That's the way we were brought up. It's the way we play. It's being who we are as Australian rugby players. I remember I took a drop goal at Coogee over one day and I went over and I got booed. You got booed. <laughs> if you kicked the ball, you got booed. You got called a coward. And that's what they were calling. We went back and we got a point ahead. And they're calling, you're scared, aren't you? You're scared. I thought, oh, it wasn't a great drop goal, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but that's the attitude you're brought up with. That's the way we played. And we went away from that. We started trying to be New Zealand. And no, you can't be someone else. You've got to be yourself. And this is why, again, come back to Andy Farrell. The philosophy that Andy Farrell is following with the national team is Ireland. It's creative, it's expansive, it's positive. That reflects the national character. And Australia returning to that. And I, I, all power to them. I, I, I'm really proud of the way they're playing. They're not, they're not a great team. and they're not, I don't think they're capable of doing too much at the World Cup. But they are, they, you can't accuse them of not giving everything they have. And they are. And, I, 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 you know, if you coach a team like that, you've got to be proud of them. And you can see that up and down performance means that, 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 that this isn't a classic Wallaby side. But if they get it right on the day, the way they play, they can disrupt anyone in the world, as they proved at the Stade de France. You're right. This is great for Ireland. It's great to test themselves. But here's the other part of it. Ireland are red-hot favourites. Ireland are red-hot favourites for this game, and Australia are underdogs. And Ireland have to adapt to that. They have to go to World Cups being favourites and win. They didn't do that in Japan. They lost to Japan. And that cost them so, so much. You, you know, you talk about the same thing with Argentina. They, they should have beaten Argentina that day. And I, I reject all other statements about injuries and so on. That's part of World Cups. You've got to deal with that. And, and great teams that go on deal with injuries to key players and move forward. So this is a really, a really good test for Ireland because Ireland have got to be sitting back in their hotel in their planning rooms with the coaching staff saying, we're not sure which gold team's going to turn up here. We're not, we're not sure if it's going to be the one in the Stade de France or the one in Sydney that were horrible against South Africa. 
after the week before they were brilliant in, against South Africa and Adelaide. So no one knows. So that's going to put pressure back on Ireland, and, and that is a really healthy thing in their progression towards the World Cup. And the last bit of that, Jude, I'm not just saying this because of my accent. Accent. I, I really want Ireland to win at the next World Cup. I really do. A loss won't do between now and the next World Cup won't do Ireland any harm. And a loss in a in a in a tournament that means nothing, the November internationals means nothing, wouldn't be the worst thing. Now I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ireland will win. But I'm just saying that that all of this is adding up to the process of getting to lifting the William Webb Ellis Trophy in October next year. That's what this whole process is about. On the Wallabies, Matt, when you talk about the, the Australian character, and I guess another aspect of Australian character when it comes to any sport is they want to win. Um, and there's been talk of, of Dave Rennie wanting his contract to be extended. Um, now, if they were to lose to Ireland on Saturday night and then lose to Wales the following week, you're looking at a, at a win percentage this year of less than 29%. Which, which is very poor for an Australian team. Now, it's 10 months out from a World Cup and maybe there aren't any obvious replacements for Dave Rennie. Is that, what, is that what's essentially keeping the conversation away from his job? The fact that you know, if they were to lose to Ireland and Wales, it doesn't look good in, you know, 10 months away from a World Cup. You know, I really... And, and, and you know, I, 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 uh, Shannon, I really respect the question. I, I, I'm not, not being disrespectful to the question. Problems with Australian rugby have nothing to do with our national coach. Problems in Australian rugby are deeply systemic and have been put in place by shocking administrative decisions over 20 years. Since we, we made the final of the World Cup against England in 2003, they had 20, I think, 40 million in the bank. They've gone to bankruptcy last year, the very, very brink of bankruptcy last year. The numbers in the men's 15-a-side game have ruptured. Uh, the quality of our coaching has deteriorated up until the last 18 months, two years. There's been some changes. But all of that, every every national coach depends on the system below them. And uh, Australian rugby is has been on the deck, on the floor, knocked out. Now, we've got some good administrators, some good people come in in the pandemic. The pandemic was a bit of a purifier, if you like. It it. They, they, it put a, uh, a blaze through the organisation and killed off some of the stuff that needed to be killed off. And what's left behind, they're building on. And Dave Rennie, you know, in my opinion, has done a great job. He's brought in a, a number of good Australian coaches, and Dave's a New Zealander. He's handled himself magnificently, unlike other New Zealanders that have come into the Australian system, where they basically just tried to make us another province of New Zealand, and that just doesn't work. They've also done a lot of work on trying to re-establish club rugby in Sydney and the numbers coming to the games to watch and play are better. But we are just off the deck. We're, no, we're nowhere near, Australian rugby is nowhere near the powerhouse it was 20 years ago when I left, 22 years ago when I left. And that's been really hard for me to watch. And constantly all along that process, no one is pointing the finger or looking at what needs to be done, which is long-term strategies to rebuild the game financially Technically, uh, it, the coaching of our players at a, at a very young age, I'm talking at 15, 16, 18, I'm not talking about at professional level, sub-professional level, which is what Ireland have done so brilliantly in the last 20 years. You know, what, what Ireland have, have completely changed since I arrived in 99 is how they, they educate their young players. So they're arriving at the professional level, really rounded and, and well-educated players. Um, it, 
you only have to look across the Australian our halves and their age bracket to see what's occurred. So you've got a, a Foley, Quade Cooper and a Connor all in their early to mid-30s. So that means it's, it's 18 years ago when they were getting coached as 15-year-olds. And what's happened since then? It, it, it's fallen off a cliff. And, and that's the problem. So the, so the, the Australian media constantly, oh, it's the coach, it's the coach, it's the coach. So the coach is leading, Australia are leading France with 40 seconds to go, uh, uh, a minute to go. That's not the coach, that's the players. Australia are playing, leading New Zealand with a few seconds to go. That's not the coach, that's the players. And it's the decision making process of the players. I certainly hope Dave stays. I think there's some really good young Australian coaches coming through. And I, again, that they wouldn't select and develop young Australian coaches for, for years. They brought in New Zealanders. I wouldn't have had the life I had if Australian rugby didn't give me a go and didn't appoint me as an assistant coach to some really wonderful uh, coaches who mentored me, who taught me, who gave me their knowledge, passed on their intergenerational knowledge to me and gave me the opportunity to do what I've done. Now, that was stopped for 15 years. They were not given young Australian guys who had done their yards at club level and so on like you've got to do, giving them the opportunity to show what they had. And and we're paying the price, just as Ireland is reaping the rewards for what they've done. So, you know, you, you have to look. You know, I always say international rugby teams are like breweries, you know. It's, it's like you've got, to, you've got to grow the hops and you've got to have good water and you've got to have smart people that – that blend it and make it together, then have a be patient while it all brews up and it comes through. And then you get a good pint. You know, like that pint's taken a long time to happen. It's the same with international teams. If you don't coach kids well and you don't have a strong system, sub-international and sub-professional, your professional team eventually, eventually is going to suffer. And that's what we're seeing with Australian rugby. You mentioned there about uh, defeat not being a disaster for Ireland. It clearly isn't. This game is not going to be something that's... Um you know, unless something cataclysmic happens, we're not going to talk about this game beyond no. the next couple of weeks. Uh, no. Unless, unless he, he kind of goes for a, a left field selection and somebody gets a, a cap. But the, the probable teams in the papers, which are generally very well informed, suggest yes. first choice pack, first choice halfback yeah. partnership. McCluskey's going to get an opportunity. Jimmy O'Brien's going to get an opportunity. But everybody else is as it was. So we're going locked and loaded for this game. And they've obviously... They're weighing up the balance between continuing the momentum of winning versus giving somebody new the opportunity to become a bolter. We were talking about this earlier on. The, the first fixture in the World Cup, Ireland, uh, Romania, Bordeaux, the 9th of September. We've won more game after this, really, where we might think experimentation is fair, and that's the Italy game in the Six Nations. After that, nothing else matters in terms of like, oh, we, 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 we test somebody in the test environment and we see what they... It, that's gone. That window's gone after this game this weekend. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll know next October if it was the right decision to pick the full team for this game. But now in this moment, what do you think is the right decision from an Ireland perspective? Full term. Absolutely full term. That, that, that's, come, that's why they had the A programme, Jim. That's why Andy Farrell's really put a lot of effort in that A programme. They've coached the A teams. They've given them a lot. They've given them quality games. Now it's going through. And... and let me tell you, Italy are five from six with Wales and Australia in under their belt. The, the work that Steve Abood did, uh, the uh, you know, people don't know Steve Abood's a fabulous Irish coach, went to Italy, set up an incredible academy system, 
probably the best academy system I've ever seen at international level. Um, but again, that's taken five or six years for the, for those players to come through the system. So they're now part of the national team and they're winning. So Italy are no longer, I, I believe, the, the pushovers they, that they, they were for far too long in the Six Nations. I, I, I definitely think that, that you could carry one or two players. Like I think the selection that we'll see there uh, on Saturday, as you say, the papers are usually pretty right because the national team leak it to them, keep all the journos on side. So that they, I think that's a good selection. This is, you know, and, and again, what, what is Andy Farrell seeing? This is an Australian team that's beaten Argentina, beaten um, South Africa, and should have beaten New Zealand and France. So they're not to be trifled with. They're not to be trifled with. And it's also a great opportunity for this team to learn what it's like to come out being favourites. So I, I think it's definitely you've got to go with with your, your number one team through this and just see, see how it goes. Because the next part of that is if you put in weaker players and against an Australian team, what do you actually gain? The only thing you can gain is put some of these guys on the bench and bring them on. But I, I don't agree with that. I think Australia Australia is is a team that deserves respect of a full national side, and I think that's what they'll do, and I, and I do think that's the right thing. Uh, Matt, the, the news this week emerged that Andy Friend is to leave Connacht at the end of the season. I know he's someone you're you're very close to. Um, I'm right in saying you would have kind of worked with him at the, at the Waratahs in, in the 90s. Like This is a guy who has done seriously, seriously good things for Connacht since he came on board in 2018. He'll be, he'll be missed big time from Irish rugby. Yeah, look, uh, Andy's a great bloke. Um, uh, had a beer with him ooh, last Six Nations, um, and like he he'd sort of indicated to me that he was going to finish this year. Um, you know, he's got family, he's grown up, grown up children back in Australia, and you know he, he's been on like me, he's been on the road a long time, and and I think he's looking forward to getting home and and being uh, being closer to his kids. So, look, Andy's a great, he's a great person, number one. I, I, we, I started him out. We came on with me when we were at the Waratahs in, we were, we were trying to figure out the year. We think it was 98. We're pretty certain it was 90, but we worked together at the Australian Institute of Sport before that as what they call satellite coach. So I've known him for a long, long time. Fabulous person. You know, again, a man brought up the same as me, running rugby, get the ball in hand. This is how you do it. The quality of his person, of, 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 his character has has rubbed off on that uh, Connaught organisation. Yeah, he'll he'll be missed, but but he's going to leave a legacy there, and that legacy will be built on. And um, you know, the season's not over for Andy, but but I, I think he's got a little camper van he's looking to uh, travel around Europe in there and enjoy a little bit of the sights of Europe before he heads back to Canberra. But uh, he's had a great career, and 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 will leave Connaught in, in really good stead. I, I presume in it, in Australia he'll get a, a job in rugby as well. That the experience that he's garnered in this part of the world will stand him in good stead on a CV? One, I don't know if Andy wants that. Uh, we didn't talk about that, so, you know, possibly. But but it's it's also really just really hard to go back to where you've been. Um, you know, once once I was Waratah coach, I knew that was over. And Sydney's my home, so there's only one professional team in Sydney and Andy's been Brumby's coach. So it's really hard to go back into an organisation where you've been. And, and I was at the War, Waratahs for 10 years and I think Andy on and off was, was at the Brums for eight or so. It, it's a tough one. Whether you go back into an academy system or do something like that, 
I don't know if he wants to do that. But uh, look, Australian rugby would be very, very uh, silly to not utilise his experience. Australian rugby's done some really dumb things in the last 20 years, mate, I can tell you. And they've thrown away so much intergenerational coaching knowledge. It's just heartbreaking. So I, I, I don't know on every front, but would he be a great asset within within a system there? 100%. 100%. I always say coaches coaches are at their best after five or six contracts because you've made all your mistakes. You've done all the dumb things. But that's when you usually get pumped out the other end and they bring in a young guy who's going to make all the same mistakes that you just made on the way through instead of having bringing back in that intergenerational knowledge. And that's what I meant. When I was coming through, we were still amateurs. So we had guys, you know, I had Bob Templeton who'd been a Wallaby coach in the 70s, Dave Brockoff, Wallaby coach in the 70s. Uh, Bob Dwyer won a World Cup in 91, you know. John Conley, great Queensland coach, went, went on to be a Wallaby coach. These were all guys I, I worked for and were mentors of mine that passed on that knowledge you can only get by being in the trenches. It's And, and they'd come and watch your games and talk to you and ask you questions. And, you know, it's quite humbling because you, you had to admit your failures, but that's what you've got to do. You've got to stare your failures right in the eye, embrace them, love them, learn from them, and keep going and have a lifelong love of learning. And that is one of the big reasons that uh, Australian coaches haven't come through because they haven't had a mentoring system that we had, that, even though it was informal, that we had. So someone like Andy going back into it would, would be absolutely wonderful. But again... I don't know that he wants to do that. You know, that's it takes its toll on you, and he may want to step right away from it and just enjoy being part of the family. I'm not sure, but, yeah. but again, that that is a problem with Australian rugby that we are seeing now. Now, having said all these things with Australian rugby, I do believe things are changing um, uh, in Australia. I, we have very, very good chairman, a very good CEO. Um, we have an, uh, we've appointed some really good young Australian coaches to the Waratahs in particular, Darren Coleman, another guy I worked with uh, many years ago. Darren's been a, done a fantastic job rebuilding them up. Um, Dan McKellar's assistant coach with the, the, the uh, Wallabies was around the Brumbies. Stephen Larkham gone back into the Brums. Um, you know, there's a lot of pluses going on in Australia, but we're coming from a long way down and there has to be a lot of work done sub professional level that's where the real work needs to be done and we haven't got a lot of resources to put into that because the financial uh, Irish rugby made five million bucks Australian rugby was was close to bankrupt 12 months ago so it's it's a very very different scenario in Australia to what it is uh, here in Ireland Matt enjoy the game this weekend great to have you with us thanks looking forward to it guys see you now it's uh, Matt Williams there always interesting range of different thoughts I think Andy Friend's legacy is uh, cemented in Connacht like oversaw the transition and the recovery from the, the previous regime and just gave him the sense of ambition mm. like the things he's done that he's just changed the way and, and even the academy and the players he's given debuts to was it 50 odd players he's given debuts to that's his legacy like there's a lot of young players there in the Connacht system at the minute that are going to be like yeah Andy Friend gave me that chance so hopefully some of those emerge onto the international scene in the coming years as well so what a legacy he's left behind big well, miss OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com here's what we got on OTB Sports Radio for you today uh, OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Jason Sherlock our leader's questions is Stuart Lancaster at 3 our retro panel how far does doping go is 4 o'clock and OTB Gold is the uh, Wexford 1956 team uh, you follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best and latest sports content on the show tomorrow Shane's in the hot seat 
the 42's Gavin Cooney a special co-host before he heads off to Qatar Alan Quinn will be here as always with build up to Ireland against Australia and plenty more besides OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Moves